Now, I've commented that we are living in a very dangerous world today. We thought the world was an unsafe place during the Cold War. That went on for a number of years, and we thought when, as soon as the Cold War was over, then, then we would have some respite and we'd have a, a much easier society and time in which to live. But we're finding out that's not the case, is it? In fact, it's more dangerous today than it's ever been. So, what I want to address today is the subject of God is going to deliver and save those who are worthy. But my question is, who will be worthy? Who is going to be worthy of this? Now, there's much in the Bible about worthiness. Uh, I could give you a number of texts here, but I just, I've just chosen a few here that will illustrate the point. For example, here's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Writing to this church, he says, We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations which you endure, which is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. That you may be counted worthy of it. So this notion that uh, was palmed off in the name of Christianity many centuries ago, that all you have to do is just accept Jesus Christ and you're automatically saved, that's not substantiated biblically at all. Just claiming Christ's name doesn't make you worthy. There's a lot more involved. Luke 20, verse number 35. Luke 20, verse number 35. I'm only going to read part of this because, again, it, it emphasizes because the question was up, you know, uh, whose wife was this uh, husband, which, which husband would this wife have in the resurrection because she'd been married to seven? And, and then Jesus just said this, <clears throat> those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection of the dead. So we're looking at a new age and we're talking about the resurrection of the dead. So we're talking about eternal life here. And what does it say? Those who are counted worthy. Now who decides that? You decide yourself? That's not the way the Bible teaches. That's going to, be, to a large extent, be extended on what you did during your lifetime, absolutely. But the decision will be made by God. Here's an interesting comment regarding it in uh, Revolution, Revelation, the third chapter. Revelation chapter 3, and here it's addressing this particular church here. Uh, the church of... Um, Sardis, and he says to them, um, you have a few names, verse 4, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. So here was a church that had uh, gone off, gone away, and gone, gone astray, and had many, many things wrong with it, but he said just a few there have not done that. And uh, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So being a member of a church and being a member of an organization doesn't guarantee you anything. It's what you do as an individual in your life. Now in Matthew chapter 22, we have another interesting statement. Matthew 22 and verse number 8. Here he's talking about the wedding supper and an invitation was given 
uh, to many to, to, to come, and of course, for one reason or another, they found an excuse not to, not to uh, um, do what God expected of them, and so it says here. He said to his servants, this is verse 8, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. They are excluded. So there is something quite realistic about this matter of being worthy in God's eyes. Let's notice uh, Luke 13, verse number 25. You see, here's the um, admonition here. And he tells them that when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and uh, you begin to uh, out stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, answer, answer, uh, answer. And um, um, he'll say then, I'll tell you, I do not know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's an interesting statement, see, because here were people who thought they were in good standing and they were going to be accepted, but he said no. So here are people who obviously regarded themselves as a follower of Christ and a follower of God, but they were, they were rejected. And um, that's why he says here, uh, when they were sought to enter, they could not enter in. Now in Luke number chapter 21, Luke 21, verse number 34. You better take heed to yourselves. So here's the warning. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Remember when Mary and Martha were serving Christ and uh, one of them was doing all the work and the other was sitting to Jesus and she was critical of her, of, her brother, of her sister? What did Jesus say? He said, you're troubled about many things, but I'll tell you one thing. Your sister here has got that part that will never be taken away from her. But you get wrapped up in the affairs of this life and that becomes the all-consuming thing. That's a very dangerous thing Jesus warned, warned about. And he said, that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. Now, that involves a number of things. That involves the physical things that are going to take place in this earth. But notice something else he adds right on to it. You may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. They go hand in hand. If you're accounted worthy enough to escape, you will be accounted worthy enough to stand before the Son of Man. That's what he's saying here. But you better see to it that you do that. In Revelation chapter 3, verse number 4. Uh, there's a whole series on this, so I won't, I won't emphasize, I won't uh, try to read them all because they're, they're repeated a number of times here in the book of Revelation. So I'll just touch on a couple of them here. Um, remember what we read here in Revelation 3. We, he said, uh, "These uh, they'll walk with me in white because they're worthy. And then in verse number 12 of this same chapter, he said, He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in my temple. But uh, notice what we read here back in verse number 3, uh, verse number 4. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who is overcoming shall be clothed in white garments. So worthiness is, is related directly to overcoming. Now, can you overcome if you don't take God's truth seriously? 
you better. There are going to be those people who sat there and they're going to say, well, you know, didn't we, uh, didn't we eat and drink in your presence? And, and uh, didn't we go with you here and go with you there? What's he going to say? I never knew you. So let's recognize very plainly, it's not a matter of being a member of a church. It's a member of what your relationship is with God. That's what you better understand. And the same thing here in verse number 21. He who is overcoming, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So this is what has to take place. Now my question is this now. What do we mean by overcoming? And what are the steps required in overcoming? Well, uh, think back when you first were given a knowledge of the truth. How did you respond? I remember the first time I heard the broadcast. It was in 1952, and I mean it rocked me to my core. And uh, it said, uh, that our, our, Mr. Armstrong was speaking, he offered this article, he said you can get this, I don't know, plain truth or good news at the time, and so I wrote right in for it. And uh, three or four, maybe five days a week later, I went down to get the mail at the mail room, and here's this sergeant dispensing out the mail, and I asked him, I had him in, he looked at this thing, he said, you got this thing, and he tossed it out to me, and it said on the front page, broad print, did angels marry women before the flood? Ugh, I could have crawled in a hole. I have stuck it in. Hit it and went back to my barracks and read it like that. That's the first thing you have to overcome. You know what it is? What people think. Because people are so concerned about appearance. And they're concerned about family. And they're concerned about relations with other people. And they're concerned about society in general. That's the, that's the first hurdle. So let's notice what, G, what uh, John said about this. Actually, Jesus is doing the talking, but it's in John, the 12th chapter here. And we read here, John 12 and verse number 42. Nevertheless, actually this is really quoting what uh, was occurring here. Uh, there's other scriptures here in a moment. We'll read what Jesus did. But nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Oh, they, they knew he was special, absolutely. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. To be accepted by society and to be accepted by men, that's what is important. And that's, if you don't overcome that hurdle, you haven't really started yet. Or if you haven't overcome it yet, it's something you're going to have to overcome because that's the beginning step. You get to the place you don't give a hoot what people think. They're not going to be the one that decides your salvation. And in Matthew 23, verses, four, uh, verses 5 through 7. Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7. Here was, the, here was the big show that these people wanted. They bind heavy burdens, but then notice what we read here. They, they're all their works they do to be seen of men. They loved the best seats in the feasts, greetings in the marketplaces. So this is the ostentatiousness of life that so many people are so concerned about. If they can just be accepted or if they can make some kind of a mark. Let me tell you this. It doesn't make any difference what mark you make in this physical life. What counts is the mark you make with God. Everything else is irrelevant in the long run. 
And that's what we better realize. Luke 14, verse number 7. Luke 14, verse 7. He told this parable of those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them. And then he said, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place. Lest one more honorable you be invited by him. And he who invited you and, and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Now, how many people just automatically do that? You know, we have all these federal agencies that are out here supposedly protecting us and working together. You know how they work? They work like cats and dogs. And you know why? Because each one wants the self-importance and protect his own turf. And they want the credit for it. And a lot of times they won't even share information that involves people's lives because that's their little old little domain and that's what they want. And I mean, for the government to try to clean that mess up, you know, they pass laws. What good are laws if people won't obey them? Do you know that if a law is, is violated by about more than 10% of the population, or maybe a little bit more than that, it's unenforceable? Case in point, what happened to you on July 4th, the night of July 4th? It sounded like a war zone. And I mean to tell you, there were, things, there were bombs going off there that were louder than I ever heard before. Now, do you know something? It's against the law to have fireworks in Oregon. You see police out there trying to enforce it? It's unenforceable. So that's just the way it works. And when you have these agencies that won't cooperate and everybody's protecting his own turf and he wants all the credit and they're more concerned about that than they are in the safety of the people, then are you going to really have any protection? John 5.44 Here's what Jesus said. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Why is that what your main concern is? So that's a good example of how people are like. And back in verse 41, he said, I do not receive honor from men. I can tell you this, if you really live God's way, what did Paul say? All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That, you're not going to be popular. You're not going to win any, any popularity contest if you really obey God and do the right thing. Now, you don't need to make a big issue out of it. You don't need to go around trying to convince people. You don't need to go around trying to show how righteous you are. That's just as bad as, as uh, the other. Just live your life in a godly manner. If people ask you, you should be able to give the answer. That's all you need to do. Notice John 2, verses 24 and uh, 25. Jesus did not commit himself to them. Because what do we read up above here? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. This great weakness to associate and to be part of something great or to be great yourself. 
I'll tell you what greatness is. Greatness is overcoming. Greatness is building character. Greatness is living to what God instructs you to do. And doing it with a right spirit and a right heart. And if you don't have that, everything else you do in the long run, meaningless. Okay, now that's the first step. We have to get past this, this, this uh, place of worrying what people think. Then we have the next one. We make a series of outward changes. Like changing our language. As I've had ministers tell me, when they were converted, they had to give up half their vocabulary. Changing your language, that's one thing. And uh, various bad habits. Cigarette smoking. Chewing tobacco. Um, overindulgence in alcohol. Uh, the wrong kind of dress. All kinds of things like that that reflect on the very character of God. And those are the physical things we give up openly. Those are not too hard to overcome. Once we're really determined we're going to do it, and we realize it is necessary to, to set a proper example. Now, let's notice some examples. What do you read back here in Exodus 20, verse number 7? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, people are so absolutely ignorant and indifferent about that, that when you watch a movie, and a good percentage of them, I don't even want them in my home, and I don't watch them because they just have foul language and they take God's name in vain constantly. Here are movie people up there just acting apart and, and using foul language. How could a Christian really be a, 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 a move, an actor in a movie if he's got to do that kind of thing? Now, if you put on a, a, a production and it doesn't use that kind of language, I can tell you that's a rarity. That's just one example. Uh, Exodus 4, I mean uh, Ephesians 4, verse number 29. I remember an old fellow I met in Kansas City one time, and he had been a tough old bird in his life. And um, he even had, believe it or not, been a head of a house of prostitution at one time. And uh, he was already a rugged old character. And uh, I visited him a few times, and uh, he'd, he'd slip and let bad language out. And uh, finally, he got to a place where he would, if, he, if I were talking to him and he'd let, bang lang let, let bang bad language out, he'd say, oh, excuse me. He was making an effort to control himself. And after he came into the church for some time, he quit bad language altogether. That was one of the very obvious physical outward things he could do. That's usually the second step that takes place. So we read here in Ephesians 4, verse number 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. When the church began to fall apart back there in the 70s, I was not in this area. I had been a pastor there at one time years before, and uh, some of the members told me that when the church began to unravel back there in the 70s, one of the ministers, the minister that they had there at that time, was in front of all these members there when it was going on, and he started cursing and using all kinds of foul language. It just shows you what happens to people. This is something that, that is one of the fundamental things that needs to be cleaned up, both men and women. Ephesians 5, 4. It says, 
neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not becoming. That's another example. Colossians 3, verse 8. The only one I want to emphasize here is it talks about put off anger and wrath and malice. Now, when people get angry, what's, what do you usually hear them do? You'll hear a string of profanity come out of them. That's why it says there, it mentions anger first, and then they'll just let it go. Well, I can tell you, Mr. Armstrong had something he used to say years ago, and it certainly is truth. Truth, he said, profanity and cursing is the one sin the devil doesn't pay you for. Whenever you use foul language, or if you ever, if you ever used it in the past, how did it make you feel afterwards? Did it make you feel good? Makes you feel bad, doesn't it? So here's what it says. Anger, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So that's another example. Proverbs 23, verse 21. Now there are a number of things that we could cover in this, but I'm just hitting a few high spots once again here. Proverbs 23, verse number 21. A drunkard... And a glutton will come to poverty. Overindulgence in alcohol. Very, very easy to do. That's what we need to watch. Because if, if, you're, if you have a drinking problem and you just have to have it, and um, you're drinking regularly, um, it's, it's a dangerous, it's a bad sign. You better wake up to it. The Bible does not condemn very moderate drinking. But I can tell you, most social drinkers, what we call social drinkers in this country to drink in this country, drink far more than what is moderate. Well, that's what we need to realize about that. Ephesians 5:18. So these, I'm talking here now just about these these open physical things that uh, that are very obvious that we we need to change. Ephesians 5:18. We're talking about overcoming. See, so what do we read here? Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So, overindulgence in alcoholic beverages certainly is a difficult problem for a lot of people to overcome. But it has to be overcome. Because I can tell you, there's no drunkard going to be in God's kingdom. Plain and simple. 1 Timothy 2, verse number 9. Now, this only addresses women here, but uh, the, th the same could be said about men, too, for that matter. But uh, men's clothes don't seem to, to present the problem that women's clothes do, especially if you look at the modern styles now and... Uh, you see all these young girls, I, it's almost embarrassing because you, their navels are protruding out almost over the place, and some of them are so fat, the rings of fat are hanging over them. They're bound and determined they're going to wear the styles even if they look terrible. Well, what does it say here about women? You know, this is an outward thing that women need to realize. In like manner, also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. In other words, they would weave the gold into the hair. 
We were at the Coconut Grove in the Ambassador Hotel one time years ago in Pasadena. There were a group of us, I mean in Los Angeles, at Los Angeles, and there were a group, a group of us from the college there. And um, our, our ladies were dressed nicely in, dre in dress clothes. And uh, the door came open and in came about a four or five, they must have been Hollywood, Hollywood star, uh, starlets and three or four men with them. And they came in, and I am not exaggerating. Your eyes would dazzle. You'd have to turn around and look the other way. There was there were so many shite, briny, just unbelievable, uh, glossy type of clothing they were and just drew complete attention to themselves. Well, that's what it says here. And uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 3. You know, you take men's clothing styles. Uh, these teenage boys, I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but uh, they were letting their trousers hang down and the only thing that held them up was their hips. Remember that? That was several years ago. It looked, it looked hideous, didn't it? Well, and again, once again, this one just addresses women, so I'm not picking on women. I'm just pointing this out. Do not let your... Uh, first, uh, first Peter 3.3 uh, uh, 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on of fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So it's the attitude that God, God really wants to see. But those are the physical, obvious things we can see. Now we come to the real problem. What's on the inside? You know, we can get to the place where we don't care what people think. And we can get to the place where we recognize we should we should be setting a good example, and we're not behaving in any in such manner that is would uh, God would not approve of. But what is going on in here? That's where the real problem is. And when we're talking about overcoming, we certainly have to recognize that. What am I talking about? Lust, anger, rage, competition. Unwillingness to be corrected. Just general carnal human nature. And it's in the heart. Now here's what Jesus said. This is in uh, Mark 7. Mark 7 and verses 21 and 22. Beginning in verse 20. That which comes out of a man, that defiles a man. See, they were criticizing his disciples because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And he pointed out, that's not what defiles a man. What defiles a man, he said, is what comes out of the heart. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. That's what's inside a man. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's the struggle, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 3 3. 1 Corinthians 3 3. Here he told his church. Now, see, they were church members, all right, weren't they? But I can tell you, I don't know of any church that's perfect, and I don't know of any church that's got perfect members in it. I'll tell you what one of the problems was in the past. All of these rules and regulations and enforcements were carried out in the worldwide church of God because the church wanted a perfect church. Now, how can you take imperfect ministers and make perfect people? It isn't going to work. 
They had this authority over, I say we, we had this authority over people, and, and if they didn't uh, walk them and chalk them, mark, boy, they were called onto the carpet. What an exercise in futility. If you don't have a willingness in your heart, and you do not have a desire in your own heart and mind to really obey God and live by every word of God, no fright from a man is going to scare you any. So here's what you read here. Here's he wrote to this church. You are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? They're supposed to have God's spirit. And with God's spirit, they're supposed to be able to, to uh, suppress these things and keep them under control. Mere men don't do that, though. He's, he's giving the, the parallel there. 2 Corinthians 12.20 2 Corinthians 12.20 I fear when I come I shall not find you as I wish that I shall find you lest there be contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions backbitings whisperings conceits tumults yeah churches people did that so it gives you an example, once again, of what we, got, we have to be struggling against. Ephesians 4, verse number 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31. That all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now what generates those feelings? Malice, isn't it? Ill will, bad feelings. Carnality is what it is. It's human nature. You know, your worst, your worst enemy is yourself. Just like my worst enemy is myself. And that's where the real problem is. That's why he says it's generated by malice, isn't it? Ill will. And it's certainly not the love of God. And five, uh, Galatians 5, verse number 20 Here's what he mentions. I'm only going to just mention this, this, these two words here. Just select them out of this problem because I'm dealing with this thing here about emotions. We read contentions or hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies or factions. Those are the things we have to be aware of. And those are the things we have to overcome. And probably the biggest problem when it comes to human emotions is this. James 3, verses 5 through 7. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force the little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. But no man, verse 8, can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. I tell you, if you can find a man who's got perfect control of his tongue, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at a perfect man. I've never met a perfect man, and I'm not. When, I'm, when I look in the mirror, I don't look at a perfect man. 
I get so disgusted and mad in watching the news. I don't know how my wife puts up with me. She hears me in there grumbling and, and saying, liar. I'll hear them say, they'll say something on TV and I'll say, liar. Well, that's just the way this world is. We have to recognize that. But I can tell you the tongue, if you're the type of person that something upsets you, and the very moment it upsets you, just let it all hang out. You've got a real problem. Here's an interesting scripture. I'll show you what I mean. Proverbs 13, verse 3. I'm going to read this as it is in the Living Bible. This, uh, these, these translations here don't make it as, as good as the Living Bible is. Here's how the Living Bible says it. Well, I'll read it in the New King James Version, but the King James Version says about the same thing. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Now here's how the Living Bible translates that. Self-control means controlling the tongue. A quick retort can ruin everything. And boy, if that's the truth. Somebody just immediately comes to their mind and they make that quick retort. They've immediately shown what they are. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. That's what Jesus said. He said, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why? Because that's what's inside. That's why it's important to recognize these. These are the real things we have to fight. And those, I don't think any of us have overcome those yet, have we? That's why the Bible says, and I read it to you in the proper tense in the Greek. You don't get this in the King James Version. And, and the problem is so many of these versions, especially these older ones, are written in such a language that it does not really convey the proper tense. And the tense is very important in many of those cases. And it should be translated in every case there. He that is overcoming and is enduring to the end will be in the kingdom. It's a progressive thing that's going on. We're making progress. So what's the next step? How far along are we in this step? This is the next thing we're talking about overcoming. What is the next? It's growing in God's love. Instead of selfish, defensive human nature. I remember a proverb I read years ago in the Living Bible, and I tell you, it really, it really stuck in my mind. A prudent man ignores an insult. And how many of us are able to ignore an insult when it comes? See, that's what a prudent man is. Because when you stop and analyze it, how important is it if someone hurls an insult at you, how important is it in the scheme of things and in the plan of salvation? It's only important in as much as you do not overcome that. Now, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to go through this whole section here because we've heard this many times before, but it's a very good description of love. And uh, it's found here in verses <clears throat> 4 through, well, let's say 3 through 7. But I want to just emphasize this in verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, how would you define love? I think the best definition from it is, for it isn't, outgoing concern 
for the other person. Outgoing concern. When you consider the kind of love that parents have for their children, what is it? It is usually how, well, how can I put it? Uh, it's an extension of themselves. All of their feelings and the things they do for the children is a sort of a extension of how they feel about themselves. And of course, you get some of these crazy people in this world today where uh, if you've been following the news exams, news headlines, you find out what some of these people do to little girls and even their own little children. And that's really out of line. But if we have an outgoing concern, and that's what we're thinking about, the best interests of, every, of everyone else instead of just ourselves, and how maybe what we're doing might affect them, instead of just thinking of ourselves. Now that's overcoming. I remember this movie... Um, Schindler's List, if you never saw that. It's really a, a marvelous movie to see. Not because of what was done to those poor Jewish people, but because of uh, what this fellow did. He may have been selfishly motiv motivated, but I mean, he was responsible for preserving and saving over a thousand Jews alive throughout the war. But he was talking to this commandant, and this, command this commandant was a bloodthirsty He'd sit up in his uh, loft up there, and if he saw a Jew sitting there, he'd pull out his rifle and just shoot him. Well, in the end, he got the Russians caught him, and they put him up on a rope and kicked the bucket off from underneath him. I guess that's where the old saying comes from, he kicked the bucket because they hung him. But he was just, uh, Schindler was talking to this commander, and uh, this commander was talking about the power he had. And Schindler said, oh, he said, I'll tell you what real power is. Power is when you have the ability to do what you say you have and then choose not to do it. That's power. Now, what was he really talking about? He was talking about self-control, wasn't he? He was talking about having concern for other people. So you see, that is a very important thing. Now, there's very many texts here given in the book of John. Uh, let's notice some of these here. I mean, first, first John... First John's a very good book for this, but here's what here's, here's what First John says. First John two fifteen, do not love the world. In other words, if that is your principal interest in life, and that's what you're living for, you're on the wrong track. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not in him. It's not God's love. And as he said up here in verse number 5, Whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. Now let me ask you this question. Do you live by everything you understand and know you should be doing? That's how the love of God's perfected. If you're not, there needs to be some overcoming done there. First uh, John 4, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. That's right. Outgoing concern, real outgoing, sincere concern for other people. And 1 John 5, 2. 
from 5.3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, what do those commandments do? What's the purpose of them? They tell you how to love God, and they tell you how to love your fellow man. And there's only one reason that most people today, I'd say most, that's probably too broad of a statement. I don't want to paint a big brush that broad, but I can say there's probably a lot of people in this world today, the only reason they don't really let their emotions run wild and do what they think they would like to do or want to do is because of the laws of the land. It's not worth the price. Now, what do you think would happen if we didn't have any law enforcement and laws of the land? What do you think society would be like? Go back and read what it was like in, in Genesis, the sixth chapter. Every imagination of man's heart was only filled with evil, wickedness continually, and the world, earth was corrupt and filled with violence. So I asked this question to myself. How much worse does it have to get before God intervenes? And how much yet do we have to go through? And where is there any place on this earth that's not going to be affected? Galatians 5.22. And these are texts that we know very well. They need to be thought about probably a whole lot more than what we do. Galatians 5 verse 22. I'm only emphasizing the things here. Uh, verse, uh, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first thing mentioned here? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Outgoing concern. Now, the last point, and although though this is not specifically talking about a thing we need to overcome as such, it is something we need to do, and that is what? Enduring to the end. Never give up. Never surrender to society and our passions and the things around us that are appealing in what we would like to do. 2 Corinthians 4.16. I say things we like to do that are contrary to God's law. 2 Corinthians 4.16. I hope you'll keep that in mind when I'm talking about these things. I'm talking about things that are contrary to God's law. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 16. 2 Corinthians 4, and verse number 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. We grow older, don't we? Um, I'm, so, I'm sort of amazed because uh, I remember some of these very, very popular, beautiful movie stars years ago. And uh, they were very beautiful women in their day. And then somehow or other, they'll get them on TV and they're 80 or 85 years old. And I look at them, you can't believe your eyes. I mean, they have just dried up like a prune and they're just about full of wrinkles and they're not going to live much longer. It's astounding, isn't it? The outward man is perishing. You only have so much time to live, and you're going to go. It's inevitable. All right. But what's important? The inward man is being renewed day by day. That's why we have to endure. Job 17 and verse number 9. 
Job 17, verse 9. The righteous will hold to his way. The righteous man will. But you can't be wishy-washy. You can't halt between two opinions. You've got to get on a course and stay on it and never, never change. Because I tell you, when God gave us the truth, did he give us error? Did he give us a bunch of things that weren't authentic? That's what, that's what the problem is today. About four or five hundred different churches now, quote, offshoots one type or another of the worldwide church of God. And I can tell you, most of those people have lost the real conviction and sense they once had because once they threw away two important principles, the whole thing collapsed like a house of cards. You've got to hang on to it with your dear life. Romans 2, verse 7. Romans 2, verse 7. Here's the promise of eternal life. To whom? To those who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Patient continuance. Psalm 37, 24. Psalm 37, 24. Beginning in verse 23. Um, no, let's go on up to 34. I won't take any more time because I'm getting down to my limit here. <clears throat> Wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Wait on him. And never give up. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I've been meaning to mention this. Not it's, it's, I should maybe have said something right away uh, earlier. But it's an, I think it's, I can give it as an example. I had this intense pain hit me in the back and in my spine. And it was so bad I couldn't even walk. I could barely hobble. I could not. I could, could already sit. If I just got one position, I sat. It was so intense, and I made up my mind right there that if it takes my life, it's going to take my life because I'm going to trust God. Whatever it was. And I got on my typewriter there and I typed an email to Dave Carter, and I told him I had this intense pain, and would he send me anointed prayer cloth? Sent it. I sat down at my desk for about a minute or two and got up. Pain was gone, just like that. Nothing more was there. It's never bothered me since. So I can tell you, the, the time's going to come when we all have to going to be willing to put it on the line. I made up my mind. That was it. If it were some kind of a, a disease that was going to kill me, it was going to kill me. I was not going to turn except to God. It's in His hands. And that's what we all have to come to realize sooner or later. Do I think I'm the perfect example? No. But I'll tell you what God is interested in. He's interested in what you're going to do when the chips are down. And that's what character is, and that's what overcoming is, and that's what enduring is. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 7. Here's what Paul said. Can you, will you be able to say this yourself? I have fought 
the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are we going to be able to say that? Remember what Jesus said here in Matthew 25, verse number 21. Matthew 25 and verse number 21. His Lord said to him, Are these the words you want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Those are the things he's given us in this life. Whether we're going to live by his word. Whether we're going to obey him and keep his commandments. Whether we're, going to be, whether we're going to be faithful to the end. You have been faithful in a few things. These little things he's given us in this life compared to what's going to be in the future are, are minuscule. You were faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Why? Because here's a man or a woman that has character. And he's not going to allow the kind of evil that exists in this world into his kingdom. So that's why it is so important, brethren, that we realize that being worthy means what? I read earlier, the one that's worthy is the one who's overcoming. Being worthy is meaning, meaning that you're going to be accepted of God provided on, depending on what you do. That's going to determine it. And that's why it's important to recognize the value of obeying God in all things.